broadcast system. This is not a test. Repeat, this is not a test. This is our time to take the following steps. If exposed, remove the Broadcasting live from a German-made microphone deep within the multifamily bunker, I am Corey Hussing, here with special guest David Jackson. Uh, David, thank you so much for coming on to uh, Phantom Facts and talking to us. Thank you for the invitation. We're looking very much forward to it. Now, uh, I want to just go over uh, some of your past uh, background information here. Uh, you are a former Catholic priest of 50 years. You have a master's in scripture from the Catholic Theological Union in Chicago and a master's in divinity from Sacred Heart School of Theology out of Wisconsin. And you also have a book, Jesus Gardens Me, on Amazon. So if anyone wants to uh, download that, is it on? Uh, is there an audible version of it too? No, there isn't. Okay, well, paperback's better anyway. <laughs> Sinks in a little better, right? <laughs> now, I, I was really intrigued when I saw your profile, uh, David, because not a lot of people talk about Mary Magdalene. And uh, especially for our audience, uh, they may not know much or anything about Mary Magdalene. And you've devoted 20 plus years in the study of Mary Magdalene. Well, not quite that many, but <laughs> plenty. <laughs> plenty of time. What, uh, let's, let's start, let's start at the, at the beginning. Uh, you were a priest for, uh, 50 years. Correct. Uh, what made you, um, what made you go down this path of, of, uh, learning and, and studying Mary Magdalene? Well, actually, I, in the later years of my priesthood, I was troubled by a number of things. In fact, I actually um, wrote an article, Something Not Working Here. And uh, what I meant by that, really, from the article, was I was talking about the worship service in Catholic churches, that it didn't seem to be getting through to people and uh, the, the laity had no input into what was, in other words, the people that weren't priests uh, that were in the, in the congregation. They, they just were listeners, right? But then as time went on, my concern began to broaden that there was more than just uh, worship that was not working. And uh, I became in contact with a, a number of things that bothered me very much in terms of... Uh, the way people were acting and the way, like, for instance, that so many people seemed to be into a certain kind of piety, which, which was really me and God. Uh, and, and it didn't seem to get beyond that. And the more I uh, learned and read, and I'm a great reader, I have a reader of a lot of books, I read a lot of books and study them, and I became concerned that there's really much more to Jesus' message and the way he lived than just the me and I, like putting Jesus on a pedestal and then going from there. So that's what got me kind of searching. And one of the things that bothered me the most was that, that there was so much emphasis in many circles placed on the passion and death of Jesus. Okay, that was, that was an important event. But Jesus lived for three years. He lived and he taught and he was a, 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 an itinerant preacher. And the content of his uh, preaching and what his life uh, proved to be didn't seem to me to be getting through to many Christians. And I'll tell you something that struck me. I, I read a book by two men that they talked about the last days of Jesus. And they said at the end of it, which really kind of caught my attention and has continued, considered, uh, continued to be part of my own view of things. They said that there's two important questions that need to be asked. And the first question is, do you accept Christ as your personal savior? And that certainly with its uh, altar calls and everything is, is a great part of many Christian traditions. But right. then they went on to say, 
that beyond that, there's a second question. Do you accept Jesus as your political savior? And that opened up a whole new field for me. What did that mean? What does it mean to study Jesus and, and hear what he's about? But that's not enough. You have to act on it. And I think that's what got me into this. And then uh, after leave, I actually uh, withdrew from the priesthood and I've been married for 12 years. And my one day I came across the book that my wife had on her herself. And it was called uh, Jesus, uh, Mary Magdalene Myth and Metaphor. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So I just took a little bit here, a little bit there, but I, it's a long book. <laughs> and I didn't really study it at that time, but it set me into other things. And I did a Google search about Mary Magdalene. And boy, did I ever get a surprise and I learned a lot. And I think one of the key uh, things in this is that way back in 1896 in Egypt, somewhere, and it's kind of a little bit murky who found it and where they found it, but that what they found was a, a document that had been buried and the title of it was the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Now that was interesting, but what happened from Egypt in Cairo, it appeared in some kind of a market there and it ended up in a library in Berlin. And since then, it's written in Coptic, okay? But since then, there have been three very scholarly uh, translations of the Coptic and then commentaries. And so I have kind of devoured those. That had to have been quite the adjustment because, well, like, when did you start considering that maybe you should leave the, the priesthood? I think in the later years of my life, uh, it's it, like I said, that uh, I was bothered, you know, I would be saying mass and, and I would even say to myself, something's not working here. And I yeah. would try to get people involved and, and I would actually ask questions of the congregation and people would would put up their hands and give what they heard and what their point of view was. And that seemed to be working for me, but it wasn't working in many Catholic churches, in, in almost all Catholic churches in the United States, at least, uh, that it isn't the way the mass is celebrated. The priest is in charge and he preaches and he celebrates the mass and gives communion and with other people now but that's there's no interaction that goes on and i must say that part of my life experience and i've been blessed to be able to visit in mexico central america and in south america and in those countries there's a whole new system that has come about called uh what do they call them they call them uh, basic christian communities and they gather in places and they they meditate on or they they listen to a scripture passage and then they say what their interpretation of it is and what it's challenging them to and i found this in mexico and in central america in nicaragua particularly at this time this goes back many years nicaragua has changed for the worse since then in many ways but also in brazil there were there were basic Christian communities doing this all over the place. And the contrast between what was happening there and what was not happening in the United States kind of got the best of me. And I said, well, I'm going to take a different track. So that's how I decided to get married. I mean, well, that had to have been exciting. And congratulations on 12 years. <laughs> Thanks. More than me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should join the priesthood since I've been single so long. <laughs> Good. Uh, I mean, you dedicated the majority of your life, though, to the priesthood. Yes. You know, for 50 years, I, it had to have been, I, I'm not sure if scary is the right word, but any going into anything unknown uh, had to have been somewhat uneasy. Or Oh, it was scary. I mean, that's the right word because... 
you know, at my age, so at that time I was what? Uh, I'm 84 now, okay? So back 12 years. Uh, and, uh, you know, I wondered, would I be able to get a job? What would happen? But uh, in God's providence, according to me and according to others, is that I had belonged to a religious community that when people decided to leave, they were very generous and set them up with a, with a, a way to receive an annuity. And so oh, nice. I received enough of that too. So that, that fear once, and I, the whole process of, of uh, seeking what they call a dispensation from the priesthood and the religious community, that was a very painful process. I mean, it was almost like in the Catholic church, if people are married and they want to end their marriage, they, they have what's go, have to go through what's called an annulment process. And that is so painful. It is just uh, unjust in my way of thinking. And so I, 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 though, though I was concerned about going through that process, I actually decided to do it to at least have some kind of financial support for the rest of my life however long it be. <laughs> so you didn't, I, you didn't, and you know, you can tell me if I'm out of bounds for asking, but you didn't leave the, the Catholic religion. You just left no. the priesthood. No. In fact, I pride myself in not, not describing myself as a Catholic or as a Christian, but as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. That's, it's a huge difference. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, I have a, I've been working on a book, which I hope to publish in the not too distant future. And the title of it is Mary Magdalene, a guide for today. So I explore the gospel uh, of Mary Magdalene in great detail. And I particularly, uh, there's a whole bunch of feminist women scholars now that have done just tremendous research and going back. One of, one of these scholars described it as a detective work. Yes, it really is to go back into into the early Christian, what was happening in the early Christ after Jesus left, you know, what happened and what we have. One of the one of the uh, writers, uh, Karen King, who is also one of the the uh, uh, translators of the Coptic gospel. She talks about a, uh, what's the term she uses here? I have it here. The master story. She says in the early church, the master story was that male disciples and gospels believed that they had the true meaning of the teachings of Jesus. And there really was an a kind of an effort to, to, uh, as it were, really to close down other parts of what were happening at that time. The, 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 what was happening in the early church was not just what's described in the Gospels and in the New Testament. In fact, if you look at it, it's kind of interesting. Mary Magdalene makes not very many appearances in the Gospels, okay? I think there's at the most 13, okay, references to her. But... If you look at the Acts of the Apostles, she's nowhere. If you look at all the epistles, she's not present. So what happened? She was put to the side and and kind of obliterated in a sense. Now, um, and you have to forgive me. I'm sure you know, I know you know a lot more than I do about this. Um, but they had, when they decided the Bible canon, I think it was like in 300, 400. Right. And it was, uh, was it the Conference of Rosia? Or I, I can't remember the name exactly. But they had a conference, right? And, and they sort of, yeah. And they, uh, and they pretty much took all the different uh, gospels that had been accumulated up to that point and the different teachings from the different areas and how it had branched out. And they narrowed it down to the 66 books. I mean, is now you're saying that this this gospel of Mary Magdalene, do uh, you think that would have been discussed in that conference? Or was it long buried before that? 
that's a very good question. I'm not sure, and and there's a lot of um, uncertainty and uh, foggy areas around this this whole uh, manuscripts, when it was buried, why it was buried, and and I'm not quite sure what people say about that. But it's it's so radically different. And, and I say, thanks be to God, that it was discovered in 1896, and it has a life of itself since then. When um, and So you discovered this, or you started doing research on this after you had left the priesthood? I did. Okay. And That's so, a, like... The, the, for, the, the critical point for me was, I was looking at my wife's uh, board, board, uh, bookcase one day, and I see this title there, you know, and uh, I said to my, well, well, but it, it is also connected because in the other, the book that I wrote in 2020, I started with an experience that I had in Easter in a, a, a botanical garden in uh, Hales Corners, Wisconsin. And it was Easter. And so all about the Easter, all about what was going on at Easter was in my mind. Okay. And so I did notice that there was gardeners. It was gardeners, okay? And I said to myself, hey, wait a minute. Doesn't, doesn't one of the gospels say that, that Mary thought that he was a gardener? And I said to myself, well, what, what was his occupation exactly? And of course, in the gospel, it only says in Mark's gospel that he was a carpenter, okay? And it's very interesting because in the later Gospels, Marx was written earlier, probably the earliest of the Gospels written, but the other three were made were written later, and they kind of put that that thing in a different complex. They don't say directly that he was a carpenter. For sure, he was an itinerant preacher, and he may have done some carpenter work, but I have seen lots of, of, of information that Jesus in his travels, you know, he had to have been an itinerant worker, but he probably did a lot. In those days, carpenters did a lot of things. It's like the guys that come from Mexico now. They do more than this. I mean, they're into electronics, they're into painting, they're into, you know, uh, cutting lawns and stuff. They do all kinds of things. And I think Jesus was like that. Well, that makes sense because, I mean, it's not, you know, I'm an electrician. You know, but I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, the, around a bunch of farmers. I'm not a farmer myself, but, you know, I always think of farmers, you know, farmers do just about everything. They're carpenters one day, they're machinists one day, you know, sometimes they're farmers for a day, sometimes they're ranchers for a day. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've never I've never heard that before about uh, about Jesus uh and his role, I'd always just assume, I think the thought process was, was that Joseph was a carpenter, therefore it was taught to Jesus. That, that, that's just back of my mind, but that makes sense. What now let's talk, let's talk about the official record, according to the canon about Mary Magdalene. You mentioned, she's mentioned about 13 times. Um, in what context is she brought up in? Well, the most, I think the most important one is in Luke, where he makes the statement in chapter 8 that uh, there were women that accompanied Jesus in his travels. And among them, and he names them, there's a, a, a number of people, but the one that stands out is, he says, Mary, who, who out of whom seven devils went. Okay? That's there in, in Matthew, I mean, uh, in Luke 8. And that is one of the most important ones, I think. But the other ones where she appears is certainly at the, uh, at the death and resurrection of Jesus. She's one of those that was at the cross. She's the one after that then that goes to the tomb. You know, she has to observe the whole Sabbath and everything, so it delays. She goes to the tomb thinking she's going to anoint the body and, and the whole story of she gets there and he's gone and an angel is there in one account, a young man is there in another account, but clearly something happened. Then she goes and tries to tell Peter and the other apostles, and so they run to the tomb and they see, but uh, Peter and uh, John run to the tomb and... Uh, 
John gets there first because he's younger, and but he doesn't go in. And then Peter gets there, and he goes in, and he comes out. But then John doesn't have to go in. He says what he told us is true. He's risen. And so, I remember. I remember my mom would always get upset by that because she's like, she was very much a a, a pro female anyone in the Bible. So it was they should have listened to Mary. You know, Peter. Peter couldn't trust a woman. <laughs> I, 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 I jogged my memory of that. I remember, I remember her talking about that. Now, there wasn't there a belief that she was a, she was a prostitute at one time. Absolutely, there is that belief. And sad to say, in the first, like up until the almost the sixth century, there was no talk about Mary being a prostitute. Okay, but in five ninety one. There was a Pope, Pope Gregory the Great, he's called, and he gave a sermon in which he painted a picture that had three people in it, all of whom were Mary Magdalene. He took an account from Luke's gospel of a sinner in the city who goes to a Pharisee's house and washes the feet of Jesus and dries them with the hair of her, of her head. Okay, there's no mention of Mary Magdalene there, but he puts that's Mary Magdalene. The second one is Mary of Bethany. Jesus, before he, I think it's like 10 days before the Passover in which he then will be in Jerusalem, she anoints his feet. Okay, and uh, then there's Mary Magdalene who clearly anoints his feet in the gospels that she does that as well okay so he puts those three together so that's where the idea that mary magdalene was that prostitute the unnamed sinner in the city that went to the pharisee's house and washed the feet of jesus and dried it with her hair so from 591 on that was sad to say that was what most people believed in that that's who mary magdalene was so in other words and the idea i mean i think it, it, you know sex is very engaging right so the name that she was a prostitute that's very engaging to people too i mean even today there's a new series out called the chosen and she's yeah, the as a prostitute in there Really? But there is no evidence that she was. No, do, you think, do you think uh, uh, Pope Gregory uh, misunderstood or did it on purpose? No, he, he, I, I think he was just, I, I think, that, I don't think there was any uh, malignancy or evil in what he was doing. I think it was just his analysis of the scriptures, but he was wrong. And we've lived with it from 591, clearly, until about the 12th century, when different things started to happen. Because in the 12th century, Mary Magdalene became a whole different person. Although it's interesting that uh, from the 12th century on, she's associated with charitable, charitable activities. And the charitable activities are directed at women. I have to read from this to get the exact thing about it. Her legends inspire hospices for old women, at-risk girls, other marginals and reformatories, convents, and other institutions for her, specifically repentant prostitutes. So it took on, so you can see there, it broadened from her just being a prostitute to people that I think the people on the margins were also things that at that time in the 12th century there was a movement in that directory in that direction that took place and it so already it had already been established by you know what 600 years before that by pope gregory that she was a prostitute and then it was just sort of built on afterwards and different groups were added to it yes. now and to this day, it's interesting because one of the great women scripture scholars, Sandra Snyders, says that if you were to ask any Catholic today about Mary Magdalene, what they would tell you is, oh, she was the prostitute to follow Jesus. 
Yeah. That, that's how deep it is. Yeah. Now, um, she's a saint. She's a saint, correct? In the that's in the. Yeah, she and, is the same, thank God. I, I, I'm sorry. I I I I'm speaking from ignorance here. No, so. you're talking. You're talking like most people. <laughs> Corey, well, that's good. That's good. I'm average. So I'll take it. Now, so when you were discussing when they when they changed her role in the 12th century, so if you were a troubled girl or you know. A prostitute, you would pray to Mary Magdalene. Is that is that correct? Or absolutely. Okay. Okay. Sure. So, so that really cemented it at that point. Right. She became an icon in a different way. She she wasn't just uh, uh, you know put on a pedestal. She became very human and and very attractive to people to many more people and for different reasons. Uh, so we have a question from one of our listeners how did he come up with the idea that mary was a prostitute mary was an extremely common name back then there were several marys in the bible correct oh it's full of them in fact in jesus time that was the most prominent fem uh feminine name mary there's so many of them in fact many people mixed up mary magdalene and the mother of jesus mary but the, the look at mary of bethany Mary Magdalene. I mean, only to begin, there are many, many other Marys that are mentioned in the in the scriptures. And so, uh, how did he? The, the questioner asks, how did he come up with that? Well, he knew the Bible, and he was a monk, and so. But this was his interpretation, and it, it's really interesting, and 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 it, and it and it keys into something which I think is very important at the present moment. Because after the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was discovered, and now since it's been promulgated and books have been written about it and YouTube videos are present about it, and you have this whole whole bunch of things. It's interesting, the Boston College has had a, a series about Mary Magdalene on her feast day for more than 10 years. And some prominent speakers have come to that, okay? So there's a movement that's kind of, a, that's different today. So we're interpreting Mary Magdalene in a different way. There's scripture scholarship has come a long way since Pope Gregory the Great, although he gave great sermons and he, he, he there were other causes that he that he preached about that were wonderful. But on this one, he was off base. Uh, before I move on, you've mentioned the Coptic. What, what, what does Coptic mean? Coptic is a language that is written and spoken, I believe, in uh, Egypt. Okay. And okay. see, that's where the initial uh, finding of Mary Magdalene's gospel took place in Egypt. This, so, and you said it was discovered in 1893, is that correct? 1896. Ni 1896. So, in 1896, uh, they discover these Coptic writings about Mary Magdalene. How does that, how has that changed your perspective of who Mary Magdalene is? What's, what's in these texts, this gospel, that has changed your viewpoint? A lot. Just <laughs> a loaded question. <laughs> one thing that's interesting is to me is that, you know, these Mary Magdalene's gospel and many others that were discovered, not hers, but in another place in Nag Hammadi, in northern Egypt, uh, a whole trough of documents, some of them gospels, some not, some, uh, and, and as one uh, very, uh, one of the translators of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene says, uh, commentators in talking about them, some have been right on the mark and others have been flaky. And I think that's really true because, but initially these were all titled Gnostic, which at that time meant they were heretical. Okay. So that left a whole image on this. Now I've wandered from your question, but uh, what, what, what exactly did you ask? Well, I was just curious when it, when it, what was in the gospel that Mary made them do it her, yeah, that made them think, oh, this is heretical. This, you know, obviously they didn't want it in the Bible. You know, there was no, no 
discussion about adding it to the the canon well if if you look at the early like that famous uh statement of king of a master story (laughs) this was and and still today much of christianity not protestantism but totally of catholicism is male male oriented the leadership those who do the preaching those who do the writing of the books those who make the laws right they're all men okay so i think right from the early church there was a a downgrading of the positions that women took like now it's for sure and even they've mined some of paul's writings to see that there's a woman named thecla that ran a community really and may have been a deacon and and there there have been scholars that have visited these places and women scholars mostly, but they've led pilgrimages and things where they find out that, that there has been a suppression of wisdom in the, of, wis, of women in, in the Christianity. It's broken out in Protestantism. I mean, now that you see many men and women there. Uh, do you think that, because I mean, I guess the only uh, book I can think of is uh, the book of Esther. Right, my yes, yep. <laughs> I had to sit there. Sorry, it's been a minute since I had my Bible knowledge tickled. Uh, so th- I mean, that's pretty much the only theme, and that wasn't written by Esther, that was written by I think was it Nehemiah, or I think Nehemiah wrote that book. So, the the fact that that there's and when you're saying gospel, you're talking about someone talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ, right? Exactly. So, oh, go ahead. His life story, like he was poor and made an option for the poor. It's clear. And I think that, I mean, look at some mega churches today. They are not poor to say the least. I don't want to name names right here, but. It's fine. It's fine. Go for it. I don't think I have to, actually. I think everyone knows. <laughs> yes. I mean. That certainly has to be a, uh, I don't know, a sour branch. What was the reasons given? Uh, I mean, obviously it was a male-dominated society. Uh, and, you know, it still continues to be to this day. But what was what was in the gospel that they used to say that it was heretical? Just besides the fact that she was a woman, was there parts they picked out of it and said, oh, this is this proves it's heretical? You know, I'm not quite sure uh, what all, but by reading it and studying it, I can tell you a couple of things. One is that she has ha- she has a mystical experience where Jesus talks to her af- after the, you know, first of all, that she, in the garden, okay, once she realizes that he's not the gardener, he's, he's, she says, uh, if you know where they've laid him, tell me. And he says, Mary. And when she hears her name, she knows that's Jesus risen from the dead. And she wants to grab him. And he says, do not cling to me because I have not yet gone to my father and your father. Okay, so he makes all of us his children in a way in Mary Magdalene. We've then become children of God, of Jesus, in a way. And so from there, she, the, the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene takes up later, okay? And it's very interesting because <laughs> Peter at first listens to Mary Magdalene, okay? And, 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 and what interaction between Mary and Jesus, who's sometimes called the, the good the good person or the teacher uh, it has in different texts they trans- translate it a little bit differently I, and I, certainly I don't know Coptic so I have no idea what they're working with but they do okay and they translate differently and the translations sometimes have considerable differences which is part of the search but what 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 I notice is that in there Peter at first will listen to her. But then it sh- it shifts, and she and Matthew say, uh, or she and uh, Andrew, his brother, say, "Wait a minute! 
You mean you're, you think that Jesus told you things that you didn't tell us? So you can imagine how that sets with people who have followed the master story. Wait a minute. You mean, a, and, and, and he says, he told you things he didn't tell us? So that yeah. sets up a kind of a... <laughs> the mentality. Yeah. Yes, not only a mentality, but a kind of a putting down. Okay. And the Gospel of Mary Magdalene says some rather strange things. The, the, uh, the teacher says there is no sin. And then goes on to explain that. Well, if you look at it, and I mean, if you look at the history of the Catholic Church, and the last two popes prior to Pope Francis were really into what Augustine talked about, original sin. Since then, there has come out a whole, basically from Matthew Fox, who's a former Dominican priest, who now is an Episcopal priest, but he talks about original blessing. And it's, a, it's kind of a catalysmic shift you have to go through to see it that way. And he explains what he means by where sin has entered the world in, in, in this Gospel of Mary. But one of the critical parts is that it calls for this, a lot of it is missing. So they speculate, but even a lot of them don't speculate too much about the missing pages. Like in the document, the first six pages are, are missing. And, and then later on, 11 to 14 are missing. So almost half of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene are missing. So you can speculate about it all you want, but there's no proof of what, what was in those. And it looks like it'll never be found, okay? Some Greek text somewhat relate, or parts of this have appeared, have appeared in Greece, but nothing seems to handle those lost spots, okay? But then it's interesting because in the latter part of the gospel, she talks about an inner journey that we all must make from our egoistic self leading through a path. And it describes different steps in the path that we go through to arrive at a more fuller understanding of who Jesus is, almost even we're called actually to be mystics in a way. In fact, uh, uh, some modern writers, I think, uh, uh, was it Young, I think, that said, we're all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be a mystic. I'm not if it's sure if it's Young, but I know I read that somewhere, but at 84, my memory isn't what it was when I was hey, young. It sounded good, so we'll, <laughs> we'll fact check it later. <laughs> Do you think do you think there was a reason why it was discovered at the time it was discovered? Well, see in my way of thinking now is that there are no coincidences. I don't think there's any coincidence in your life or my life. I think they're all put there in in ways. Some of them are just wonderful, right? And we can just uh, live with them and enjoy them and celebrate them. But there are others that are not, you know, suffering, not understanding why someone gets this or someone gets that in terms of sicknesses or illnesses, why someone dies in a plane crash, why this, you know, it's like there's a mystery in us. But I know that they're not coincidences. And I think it's really interesting now to me that um, someone recently has written, well, first of all, let, let me come back. I, I was very troubled by the canonization of John Paul II. And so there's, but interesting enough, Francis is the one that canonized him, but at the same time, he canonized Archbishop Oscar, Oscar Romero of uh, El Salvador. Okay, it seems like he danced, he balanced off two people there. And uh, I don't know. And, and so what I find now, like about Benedict, Pope Benedict, uh, people are certainly giving him great praise and applause. But there's an other side to Benedict that uh, people are lamenting. And personally, in my judgment of 
Benedict, I'm on the lamenting side. Uh, I really, did you say why? Yeah, why, why are you on the lamenting if you, if you, if you, If you look at what he did when he was the head of the doctrine committee in, in Rome, he, he actually comes out of uh, the Augustinian, uh, Augustinian contrast, which is, you know, no dual, no dualism. It's okay. either or, you know. So he comes out of that. So he put the the hammer down, excommunicated, uh, investigated. Like one of the, the in the United States, there's a great sister who who is a great theologian. Liz, what's her name? Elizabeth uh, Johnson. And he sent 40 questions to her to answer about her writings. Now, she was one of the few who spent the time to answer all 40 questions and sent them back to her. But people who were great scholars, like Leonardo Buff of Brasilia, he left. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he left. He couldn't take this. He, he thought this was a wrong path that's going on here. And and Matthew Fox, in one of his books, uh, actually lists uh, a hundred people that were censored or excommunicated or suppressed by, at that time, Ratzinger, now Benedict. And so that's why I lamented. And now it's interesting because... It, I, I just admire the Pope Francis so much because he because he's been only gracious in his dealings with the still retired Pope. Okay, but he's changed so much of what that former Pope had instigated. That was uh, it's nothing that ever happened like that before, in, in where a Pope retired. And, yeah, and oh, yeah. Yeah, that has. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, it has happened. They, they they actually go back to early stages. It hasn't happened too often, but it's really given an impetus now because clearly, John Paul II should have re, should have retired because yeah. at the end it wasn't him that we were listening to. We were listening to priests in the curia, some of whom are really not respectable characters. Okay, and then. Uh, and and even Benedict's retirement has been kind of a mixed sort of thing. I so admire the Pope, because, Pope Francis because he is so gracious and so positive in so many things. But he now is going to put some things in, I believe, if he or somebody in the Curia is going to actually put in, there has to be some differences for the next Pope that retires. Like Pope Benedict should not be wearing the white garment. That, that's the garment of the Pope. He should be simply the a former Bishop of Rome. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, 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 I sort of want to get back to Mary Magdalene real quick because you, you were talking about um, uh, mystics, myst, mystics and how, you know, everyone's a mystic. But is mysticism uh, talked about a lot in the gospel of Mary Magdalene? Um. Not, not too much. I mean, it, it, it's simply in Mary Magdalene's gospel, it, she has the mystical experience, to be sure. And uh, I think that she's trying to call all of us to something like that. But there have been, and, and it's interesting uh, that there's been a, a great difference between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. In fact, in the Eastern Church, there's not been this whole idea that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute at all. And they have their own patriarchs, and they're very different, okay? They're more in the Eastern side. Is that like the Russian Orthodox you're talking That's, about? That would be one of them, yeah. And okay. in, in Ukraine, there's a, there's a patriarch, I think, and, and there's a number of them sprinkled uh, mostly in Eastern uh, the Eastern part of the world, rather than like in Constantinople and places like that. Uh, but uh, I lost my train of thought there. For oh, well, uh, well, you were talking about uh, mysticism uh, and how it's not mentioned a, a bunch, but she had the mystic, 
mystical experience uh, with Jesus. I also, I also would have to say that since um, since the Second Vatican Council, like um, there's been a lot more emphasis on mysticism, and and one of the great uh, advancers of this has been uh, Matthew Fox because he has gone into a whole bunch of mystics. He has a whole bunch of books citing the teachings of mystics, most of whom would be unknown to Catholics in the United States for sure, and a little, little bit more known in Europe. But so that whole feeling of mysticism and, and some of the, uh, the, the uh, recent scholars like there's a scholar who actually comes from germany who has taught in the united states and she she writes about mysticism in contrast to what she calls she has an interesting word what is it she uses she calls it uh um christodolatry <laughs> she's and by that she means putting christ jesus on a pedestal and that's what you have a relationship with him, you and me, and it doesn't go beyond that. And she calls us to working after the things that Jesus did. What's wrong with society and speaking out and working against those kind of things. And that, that whole mystical tradition has been promoted by him and by several others. There's a, a, a number of scholars that have have gotten in and and I think I don't know but I think in the Catholic Church for the longest time mysticism wasn't uh, you know <laughs> well I mean I you know I I grew up in a in a in a it wasn't a Catholicism but I grew up in a very traditional um, religion and I you know just the term mysticism is you know should send shudders down your spine and you should avoid anything mystical at all costs and uh, I mean, why do you think why do you think Western uh, theology took that course? Because that's pretty common amongst oh, just about every religion. Absolutely, and it, it's like it's like um, like the the tag to Mary Magdalene that happened in five ninety one by the Pope. Okay, just stayed right, and so the word mystic has has a, kind of an ethereal sort of a you know it's kind of like what do you mean by mystic and and even today like you know in the catholic church there's a big discussion that's gone on about Majigori. it's over in, in yugoslavia okay i haven't heard anything about it no okay and it's it's supposedly an appearance of mary to little children and it goes on and on but it's not been approved by the Catholic Church yet, which is interesting because other appearances have. Guadalupe in Mexico, clearly, uh, Our Lady of Loreto, uh, you know, th that's approved. The, 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 the uh, what's the other famous one in Lourdes, for sure, that's an approved. And miracles take place there. I mean, th there's no doubt about it. And they do in other places, okay? But the mystical, it can be misused, you know, mystical and and uh, what's it? Uh, people that are magicians, right? You know, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that the people would sometimes connect mystics with. Ah, magicians is a, you know, it's really shaky. It's really suspicious. Or like almost like any dark magic type exactly. of type of belief system. Yeah. What what do you think the, I mean, uh, what do you think the gospel of Mary Magdalene adds to the story of Jesus Christ? What it adds to me are two main things. One that we are called to an inner journey, and that we have to get past our egoism, and that that is. And it takes internal looking at. I mean, even when I was a priest, it was very interesting to me. Like, I got very interested in some self-help 
things that helped me, like the Enneagram. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, or Myers-Briggs. It's a kind of a personality thing, okay, that helps you to kind of look at yourself and to find out what are your gifts, what are your shadow sides, and those kind of things, okay? And I think that's what the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is calling us to, to an internal search to find what are we about and what do we have that needs to be changed because it's very difficult and and if you look at the commercialism and the, that's rampant in our society today and 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 look at the billionaires that are so highlighted and and look at churches that are so rich and all this kind of stuff you know there's a lot against working at wait a minute what's going on inside of me and what is my shadow side what is not good about me as well as what is good okay and i find i find that some of the priests i live with oh they would put those down like oh that's bull. well they would, you know what they would say bull. <laughs> i almost got a priest to swear on here so it's so that's the one one main thing I think, and the fact that she puts the emphasis on his teaching rather than his death and resurrection. Those those are the two things in Mary's gospel that solve some problems I was having because reading through a number of things, I I, I was gradually being led in that direction. I believe that there and my own is particularly my experiences traveling in other parts of South America and Central America and Mexico contributed to that. I saw a whole different way of being church. And I think that we're more and more called to that. Now you talk about how she's not mentioned in Acts at all. Uh, I assume that means that she, according to the Gospel of Mary, she's very active during that time period. Well, I think so. I really think so, but it's hard to get proof of it. Okay, it's and that's where this uh, Elizabeth Johnson said it's a detective thing, and but now we have some great detectives that are doing like the books that I, I've I quoted, and then there's others that I have not quoted that have really done unbelievable. Like one one book, Jane Jane Shaberg has written a book in which she actually connects the Gospel of Mary Magdalene with other Gnostic texts. Now, Gnostic takes on, to many people's mind immediately, heretical texts, but they're not. They're not. They are things that we need to learn from and listen to. And even there, it's... These scholars are, are not, you know, they don't take everything hook, side, hook and sank and take, you know, they, they look at this. And like, like the sister, I mean, this woman, uh, Cynthia Bougou, she says, some of the commentators are right on the mark and others are flaky. You know, I yeah. like to, to be able yeah. to distinguish. And she calls a spade a spade or she calls a flake a flake. <laughs> yeah. Now, with the book of Enoch is considered... Gnostic is it? Is it? Am I? Yes. Am I correct? Yeah. And there's other books, obviously. But uh, so, do you agree with Mary Magdalene's book being put in that category, or do you think it should be canonized? Hmm. It, it will never get into the canon. No, you don't. I don't think so. No, unless I mean, it's just like, well, but. I hate to be pessimistic, but I don't think it's certainly in my lifetime <laughs> there won't be any switch that way. And I don't, and I think it's too, too challenging in so many ways. It's just a different model, you know, that it speaks of, and and uh, that that doesn't take place, you know, that kind of a. It's almost like a catalytic change that has to go on. And I love what the Pope said, which kind of bears in on this, that he said. We don't live in an era of of changes. We live in a change of era. And I think we have to come to that. You know, it's it's a different world right now than than it had been before in many ways. I mean, climate change is one of them, but there's so many other things. When when the Da Vinci Code came out, um, I mean, I think that really shot Mary Magdalene 
into the forefront because it was such a popular movie. And then, you know, you had this, you know, it was, you know, for me watching it, you know, I was hook, line and sinker. Not that I believed it, but it was just, you know, it was well written and well put together. And it was, you know, tied up a bunch of, you know, tight little bows at the end. But uh, as someone who studied, you know, the, the, the gospel of Mary, like what was your take when you saw that movie? Well, I, I actually watched through the whole movie, okay? And uh, watched through it several times because it was so popular, okay? Yep. And it, it really um, disturbed me. It really disturbed me because, I mean, everything, it went against everything I believe, you know? I don't believe Jesus was married. Although a lot in that in that whole uh, Da Vinci Code, he has him he has them married and with an offspring that gets into the royal part of uh, France, okay, and so that that goes on and on sort of thing. But uh, so I I kind of rejected that and 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 read a lot of reviews about it and and what people said about it, wiser than I and more you know scholarly than I am. So that that was. But it's interesting because it, even one of the first kind of breakthroughs about Mary Magdalene were the, the uh, what are the two, 1973, there were two movies that came out. Uh, the, the uh, wait a minute here, I'll get the, the exact titles of them. The Godspell, you remember Godspell? No, I don't, I don't remember Godspell. Uh -uh. Okay. Did you ever hear of Jesus Christ Superstar? I remember my mom talking about it. <laughs> I see, you're young, yeah. I, but, I know, I'm 35. Thank <laughs> you. In my time, those were very very uh, popular. And it was very, very interesting because in the Gnostic, in, in the, the, uh, the uh, what would I, I'm losing it here a little bit. Uh, In Godspell, even all after all the research I did, I was thinking of starting with this, but I'll end with this maybe. I don't know how much time we've got, but, oh, but I'll get this in. Uh, that in Godspell, there's a beautiful song by Mary Magdalene. And it actually, part of it captures where I am now. And it goes like this. Oh, dear Lord, three things I pray to see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly day by day. And really for me, that's a summary statement of Mary Magdalene and what it has done to me. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. I could, I we got to end it like that because that's a great way to end it. But you're you're more than welcome to come back on the show anytime. Uh, anytime you want to uh, deal with the ignorance, it's it's much appreciated. I especially when your book comes out, I would uh, I would love to uh, have you back on and talk about that maybe, if uh, you if you're much. willing. And, so, and but you're not you're not ignorant. Nobody <laughs> ignorant except some people that I mean you're not. I mean, okay. and you can tell my intuition tell me I've just enjoyed interacting with you. I've I've enjoyed it too, and this is a whole new subject to me. And I, you know, I just I I'm fascinated by it because I to me it all it all started with this Da Vinci Code, you know, just just the idea of Mary Magdalene, and of course I don't you know I didn't really I don't believe those things either about its conclusion but uh the fact that there's these writings out there that add more flavor to the um to the the canon that is uh uh and to the gospel of jesus christ is it's fascinating so thank you so much for your time i, I really appreciate it you're most welcome Glad to you be have with a, you have a good rest of your evening tell your wife thanks for uh taking up your time okay <laughs> have a good one all right. Well, that was uh, David Jackson. If you get a chance, uh, go to Amazon and uh, look up his book, Jesus Gardens Me, on uh, on Amazon. Uh, next week, next week we're going to be having uh, we're going to be having shipwreck and rescue. 
by Larry Jorgensen. So uh, tune in for that show. Everyone, thank you in the comments, Sunshine and uh, the uh, Lobo Fish and Rebecca Kelly. Thank you for coming on the show. So uh, if you have any questions you want to bring up uh, from this episode, feel free to call or text the number and we'll play your voicemail or read your text next week. Uh, have a good evening, everyone. <laughs>